Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to the Coffee Clash. The Coffee Clash and Special Needs Talk Radio Network feature outstanding programming for the special needs community. Our team of hosts provide educational interviews. Our shows are not designed to provide listeners with specific or personal medical, legal, or professional service or advice. Parents of children with health issues should always consult their health care provider for medical advice, medications, or treatment. Any show discussing rights and law for special needs children and special education are presented as general information and not legal advice. Special Needs Coffee Clash Limited does not promote any host or guest individual practice, programs, treatments, or products. We thank you for joining us and are proud to provide excellence in broadcasting for the special needs community. And now, on to the interview. Good evening and welcome to the Bright Not Broken radio show on the Coffee Clatch Network. I am your host, Diane Kennedy, and unfortunately, um, my co-host, Rebecca Banks, is not with us tonight, but she happens to be really the subject of what our discussion is going to be about tonight. We are talking to author Maya um, Hachik Merlin. I'll get your name out right here, Maya. Are you there with us? Yes, I'm here. Hi, everybody. Wonderful. So glad to have you. And tonight, um, as I mentioned, especially with uh, my co-author, who happens to be a teacher herself, sometimes the pressures and demands that are placed on our teachers, um, it makes us wonder um, why they feel so overwhelmed and they're often full of stress and anxiety. It doesn't make us wonder. It makes them wonder (laughs) why they are full of stress and anxiety. Well, uh, Maya is here to help us, and she is the author of a book, a wonderful book, called The Together Teacher, Plan Ahead, Get Organized, and Save Time. And tonight she's going to join us and share some helpful tips, tricks, and resources for our dedicated but stressed out educators. And um, just a little bit of background on Maya. She is also a former teacher. She's an experienced professional development trainer and the founder of Brass Tax. It's a company that's Uh, provides coaching and workshops for teachers and administrators. And by sharing her passion to help teachers manage their classrooms and lives, students are the ultimate uh, beneficiaries um, by having a better, calmer environment to learn in, which, of course, is something we all share in common, parents and educators alike. And uh, before I get to the questions here tonight, uh, we, uh, Rebecca and myself, we both found an interesting pas- uh, passage in Maya's book, and I'd like to share it with you because it really sets the stage for um, a typical um, a typical scenario with a, an educator and how they might feel. You've, um, it's 4.30 on a Friday afternoon. Your kids have left the building, and your fellow teachers are pressuring you to join them at a much-needed happy hour. You look at the bottomless pile of papers to grade and the incomplete lesson plans and think, I'm exhausted, but there's no way I'm going to make progress on this stuff in an hour. So you shove everything in your tote bag and pray you'll get to it all on Sunday. Sunday comes around, and by the time you eat breakfast, you go to the gym or spend time with your family or both. You do the laundry, you grocery shop. It's well past 3 p.m. The tote bag taunts you from the corner of the living room. Eventually, you open it and try to comb through its contents. You have no idea where to begin. 
And so that is where we're going to begin. Um, if you would, Maya, please tell us a little bit about your background, your own personal experience, and what led you to write The Together Teacher. Great. Thanks so much, Diane. Um, and good evening, everyone. I, I felt compelled to write the book, not because I was dying to be an author, but a set of experiences sort of led me to it. So as you mentioned, I'm a former teacher, both fourth and fifth grades, and fairly typical teaching environments, a little bit unpredictable, could be chaotic. And then after I left the classroom, I spent the next decade working with teachers in many different capacities, whether recruiting them, developing them, trying to retain them like crazy. And what I saw, and you alluded to, is just a lot of really talented, committed, hardworking educators not feel as successful as they could be and not want to keep doing the job. So I, w I was working full-time as, as the Chief Talent Officer for Achievement First, a, a network of charter schools at the time. But on the side, uh, I was very fortunate that they let me experiment with uh, training teachers on time management and eventually stuff management. And it, it basically just caught on through word of mouth. Um, and then I spent, you know, on the side the past five years sometimes conducting workshops in my home and now, you know, officially flying around the country a lot. So I currently split my time between my former role and helping teachers and leaders get more together. I, I originally started this work because I had a theory it was an untaught skill uh, that was essential for both success and survival. And then what happened is over the course of now training thousands of teachers, uh, people came up to me after and just said, thank you, I think I can have a life and do this job longer. So now I really say my mission is twofold, you know, successful teachers and sustainable lives. Right. Well, and and you're exactly right. There's nothing more important than keeping our teachers teaching because, you know, with all of the Im just incredible demands put on the teachers, but yet our education system continues to struggle and not serve um our our students, we've we've got to hang in there together. And yeah. I think that that that's just so important, and I love what you said about, you know, the important thing is how can we help the teachers so they don't abandon? Uh, and, you know, certainly in some of the situations, we can't blame them. Uh, no human should be made to to um, endure under some of the the workloads that these teachers and poor individuals are placed under. And I know that from personal experience working with Rebecca, who uh, is in a public high school and tends to be overloaded, and it seems like the more they know that she knows, the more <laughs> committees she's put on, the more things she's she's um, required to do, and, and so forth. But um, one point I'd like to make is that you point out, um, for a busy teacher who struggles with organization, it's important that they understand the reasoning and psychology behind some of our best and worst habits. Can you talk a little bit about this and why it's yeah. important to actually change our thinking? Yes, and, and and I should point out, you know, I'm not a psychologist of any sort. I'm very much sure. not a life coach. I'm sort of a practical lady who spends a lot of time with teachers, shadowing, following, going through their inbox, what comes at them when. Um, and the reason I focus on this for teachers in particular, it's very different than most professional jobs in that their time limitations are, are really immense. They, they have... Um, 
very little flexible time. It's almost all what I call fixed time. You're teaching a class, you're on lunch duty, you're supervising right. dismissal. So the, the flex time you have, how you choose to use that as a teacher, is much harder than many of us in other professional jobs where we might have more flexible time all day. Because there's this so limited what I found and and you know, now having delivered hundreds of these workshops, the the three areas I try to focus on in helping teachers deal with time is one, just identifying what do they actually need to focus on and when are their brains best equipped to do that? The the harder work of teaching. So the unit planning and the data analysis and, and why most of them probably got into it to begin with. Um, and that's really hard to find time and space to do so. It involves managing your energy and materials. So that's one thing. The second is then how to contain or reduce all of the minutia that just goes along with teaching. I mean, teachers are probably some of the only professionals who are still running all of their own copies in most cases, unless they're in you know some very fortunate environment. So, and there's a lot of data entry these days. I watch my own husband, who's a middle school English language arts teacher, go through this. So, you know, the second thing is how do we just reduce or contain that stuff that takes less brain power but we have to do? And then the third thing is how do we abstain? Like, are there things we find ourselves doing that we actually don't need to do? For some people, that might be over-decorating bulletin boards or spending too much time on classroom beautification, things like that. So what I've seen is just if teachers start to think about time as their most valuable resource and how they use it, by thinking about what do I need to focus on, what can I contain, and where can I abstain, it becomes just a different way of looking at the job. That's an excellent point. I'm I'm making a note about the time factor because I think that's that's so very true. That um, and I loved what you said about flex time. It makes me think of again. I've got an example here. Um, there are certain times a day I absolutely, if I had to reach Rebecca, I I can't. And right. her, her planning period, she has a little more flexibility. Um, we've had to have meetings or conversations sometimes during the day. As authors, they don't all happen in the evening. And <laughs> only during her planning period, you know, um, unless she has to actually get someone to come in and take her class. And right, right. it's near impossible, yeah. That's right. I mean, in a normal job, if your if your doctor maybe has to call you back for something for a result test result or something, you can step away from your desk. You can have a conversation, but um, in a classroom, that's your time is not flexible, and um, and even her planning period, which is supposed to be her flexible time, often gets taken up with uh, with other agendas. Yeah, more and more I see that happening. So in schools where they are lucky enough to even have preps, and I've worked with many teachers who don't, um, taken up with meetings, leadership roles, right. and student relationship building, all of those things in a way that, you know, those are it's part of contributing to a school community and you want to do that, but when you lose that time, the work comes home with you. And then what I've seen for some teachers who are lucky enough to have preps is you're just so mentally exhausted from, you know, holding down a room of 30-plus big or right. older people that you just need to, you know, mentally get some space for a moment, talk to a colleague, that kind of thing. So we sometimes underestimate the sort of mental and sort of emotional toll physical, uh, teaching can take and the recovery time. Like I know my husband will often need 30 minutes when he comes home just to right. sort of decompress from the day. It's like being on stage all day. 
Well, and you're right. And I mean, in another example, and I, I just often wonder, you know, how someone does that because I'm I'm a person who needs that. I can speak at a conference and, you know, I can go for maybe a good hour and a half, but I need my break in between. I need to kind of, you know, regenerate my batteries. And I know, um, for example, their lunch period is a 20-minute break. Yes. And that includes, you know, from the time she can leave the room until she's got to be back. That's just crazy to me um you know that's not a lot of time to recharge your batteries certainly maybe to get a meal down but nothing else yes and i you know there's one side of me that sometimes is like what could i what could i do to help restructure the system but my basic goal is to just assume things are how they are maybe they will move and adjust over time but for right now how can i help teachers live within their reality and hopefully still find joy pleasure rejuvenation in what they want to do well, that is certainly a worthy goal. And, you know, um, some of our listeners might be thinking that there are a lot of books on organization, but this book is different. It's for teachers, and it's yes. it's more um, – it is about an organizational system, but it's about a specific organizational system. And yes. um, we really took notice and love the way it's divided into the five parts. If you could give us just a little bit um, – pick a couple of them, or um, just tell us the five areas of, of how it's designed. Yeah, so, and the reason that you are right, there are a ton of books out there on organization, and we all basically say the same thing. Make mm-hmm. a list and do the list, right? At the end of the right. day, that is what any right. reason says. Make the list and do the list. But there's so many different approaches, and what I tried to design, you know, to the best of my knowledge, there's not a lot out there on teachers and time management. There's a lot on stuff. So just a little bit of background before I overview the five sections. I just teaching is fundamentally different than any other job. And the three reasons that I I tried to build this book around are one, stuff comes at us as teachers in more directions and at more times of day than we may be used to or in the average job. So you've got text messages, you've got email memos, you've got paper memos, you have the intercom going off. So you sort of sensory overload. Um, Mm -hmm. And so things are coming at you in more directions, whereas, you know, in an office job, you might just get emails or things like that. Two, teaching, again, different than a lot of professional jobs. You're on your feet most of the day in a somewhat unpredictable environment. So many of the books out there for people in front of computers all day, which teachers, if they're doing their job well, are not. And then three... I'm sort of neutral on the tools and strict on routines, which sort of leads me into a quick overview on the five sections. I really grappled with the best way to organize the book, but at the end of the day, I decided to do it almost just like my trainings, which I've been doing well before the book emerged. So just very briefly, section one is really about setting priorities. What does an ideal week look like in your life? Um, And while it is really a professional book, I do hit on the personal side too, given just how emotional of the job teaching can be. The second section, I talk about basic rules and tools that anybody needs um, to be organized. You know, you need some kind of all-inclusive system. I don't care if it's a trapper keeper, you know, the old-fashioned way or an iPad, um, but, you, you know, you have to have the right tools in place. The third section is all about creating a weekly plan. And what I mean by that is going into the week with a point of view about what you want to do with each of those precious prep periods and before and after school. The fourth section is about just dealing with the stuff, 
in particular, a heavy focus on email, which is something relatively new for teachers to deal with. And I spend a lot of time in teacher inboxes, Diane, and they're getting a lot of it. Uh, mm-hmm. And then the last section is, like, how do you actually implement these different systems? How could you start? How could you stage it over six months to a year? You don't have to do it all at once. How could you go little by little? Um, and the reason that I think the book might be more helpful than just, you know, it could be a set of bullet points, is that uh, it's full of examples of different ways people have done this all successfully. So I'm not doctrinaire, you have to do it X, Y, Z way, which a lot of books are, and I found frustrating both as a teacher and a leader, but to really say you have to develop something that works for you, and it may change over time. You know, I really like what you said about, um, and it, and if I certainly um, added to my list of titles, teacher as well as author and and conference goer and speaker and all the things that I do, I would say I would love the fact that you um, stated don't do it all at once. Yeah. Because when when I I know for myself, if I want to make changes, if I get to a point where I'm just overwhelmed with everything and I'm begging for, give me a new system, I want a new way to do it, I have a tendency to sort of crash myself because then I want it's all or nothing for me. Yes. And, and, and I, I, I see that with a lot of people. And there's two things I often say when I close my workshops. Um, one, there's a wonderful book by a woman named Anne Lamott, a fairly famous author. And, uh, and and I was a fifth grade writing teacher, so I've read a lot of stuff on writing. And there's a little boy who's overwhelmed by a uh, report he was assigned over the summer on the birds of North America. And what his father said to him that I often repeat to teachers at the end of the workshop is bird by bird, buddy. Just take it bird by bird. So I will say, you know, teachers, you can do this. It's going to take some time. And just like if you were trying to be healthy, you wouldn't go seven days a week to the gym, no fat, no sugar. Like, you're going to crash and burn if that happens. So let's go bird by bird. And this is about, you know, I jokingly call the book The Together Enough Teacher. This is about being together enough (laughs) to do well. But The publisher wouldn't let me call it that. But I actually, I will (laughs) often lead with saying that. It's just not quite as catchy. I love it. But it's about being together enough to do well by our kids. It's not about being perfect. We will all have setbacks. But we have to be on this journey of togetherness to disturb our kids and ourselves well. You know, I love that, and I love the bird by bird. It it made me think of an example. I have a dear friend here in the south where we are, and she is a very type A personality, always into projects, and she is pretty organized, but she can get overwhelmed when she takes on too many. And her husband is very even keel, very laid back, and he always tells her when she reaches that point, as he <laughs> says in his southern drawl, you'll love this, one tater at a time. <laughs> oh, I do love that. Having lived in the South for a long time, I appreciate that. And having a very laid-back husband myself, I'm sure he would appreciate that. <laughs> I That's love great. it. And then, and that, so I've used that on her as well. I'll remind her what her husband says. One tater at a time, my dear. And I, of course, remind myself of that often, too. <laughs> yes. Yeah, we all do. I mean, we all want it. Those of us who work with students, the work never ends. And right. so, and it never, it never will. And there's always more we can do. So figuring out how to make it fit and work and pace the work—it's just a huge part of the challenge. 
Well, um, oh, you're absolutely right. And, you know, one of the other wonderful things about um, your book is that it's sort of three-dimensional, if you will, that some of the tools are electronic or <clears throat> they're they're available in print on your website. If you could give us maybe a couple of these and let our listeners know um, by example of how they work, like the daily worksheets, the yep. um, meeting notes, things like that. Just give us an example of a couple of these things. Yeah, I'll hit two or three. So one that the I'll start with the first one that most teachers about and provide the most immediate sense of relief, and that would be a weekly or a daily worksheet. So for those, and and what I mean by that is almost the the routine of planning the week out hour by hour before the week starts, which again is not rocket science. Anybody would tell you to do that. For teachers, it's particularly hard because there are such limited pockets of time, so you do actually have to make choices. Some teachers I work with will do this 100% on their Google Calendar, you know, program every minute. Some <laughs> teachers will actually pull one of the free templates from my website, and there's examples in the book and on the website as well, and say, "I'm gonna, that doesn't work for me, um, and I need to create something that has my time and to-dos for the week. But that I that process of mapping out your priorities, your time, and your to-dos headed into the week, knowing things will change, of course, right? Schools are flexible, dynamic environments. Has I've just seen really enable teachers to maximize the pockets of time they do have and take less work home at night, which I really care about. Uh, a second example of a tool, and I'm just naming the ones people found most helpful, would be the professional development notes. So um, mm. teachers are fortunate to get a lot of good professional development. Right? It's sort of built into the job. What happens to most of us is all those notes get chicken scratched on the PowerPoint agendas or maybe in a legal pad if we brought them and then put in what I call the drawer of good intentions. So, which is, you know, who has time to go back to it once you are back in front of kids? It feels like a good idea. But if we get very systematic about how we actually take those notes, whether, again, electronically using systems like OneNote or Evernote or pulling some of the paper-based templates from my website or on the book CD, if we can get really systematic in how we're capturing that learning and how we implement it in our classrooms, it saves us. You know, I've worked with some teachers who 10 or 15 years in um, started out with a drawer of good intentions, and then it was a file cabinet, and then it was a cupboard, <laughs> and they moved tools, <laughs> and they have all of this wonderful learning that they really want to go back to but haven't had time because it's just stacked in binders. And so if we get really disciplined and really systematic in how we take those notes and put them into place, it can make a huge difference for the type of professionals we are. So I'll, I'll pause there unless there were any others that caught your eye. But I'm a, I'm a big believer in mixing and matching organizational systems. So sometimes people think just because I use a Google Calendar, I have to use a Google Task List, for example. And I often say up front, you have permission to mix and match. You could keep a paper-based calendar, but a to-do list on your iPad. That is fine as long as it's as clear as your Trapper Keeper system was when you were in third grade. You know, when when we all knew right where our field trip permission slip went, our sign spelling homework, and our pencil pouch, the whole nine yards. So whatever your system is, it's fine. And for most teachers, Diane, what I've seen is it has to be a blend of paper and electronic tools because the on-the-feet, off-the-feet shifts all day long. 
Right, right. Well, and as we were discussing before we went on air today, how, you know, uh, oddly enough, I am strictly electronic this evening, which I usually have a printout because I like to, there's just something about being able to maybe highlight or circle something I need to make a point of. And so I would say I probably fit into that category where I use a combination of both. I am... I'm I'm pretty sophisticated electronically, at least um, I I think so. But compared to some people, maybe not. But I do, you know, I use an iPad. I have an iPhone, and it keeps me together. I I never lose a doctor's appointment anymore because you know when they say, "Would you like a card with that?" and I tell them, "No, I've already got it right here." As they were talking and scheduling, <laughs> I put it right in my in my phone in my calendar. I set the alert for two days beforehand, just in case I have a busy week and I forgot what's coming up. So I've gotten really good about that. But there still is something about having that piece of paper sometimes for a meeting or somewhere where I'm going to need to add an additional note to it. And it. So I think you're right about having the combination of the two. And it's really tricky for teachers, too, because a lot of them, and particularly those who may be on the younger side, do buy a sort of electronics. You know, that is how they turned in papers in college and that kind of thing. And right. um, what is particularly challenging about working in schools is sometimes even if you are wildly fluent in technology, there are many situations where it's not appropriate to have a screen up. And right. so, and you know, whether it's a tough parent meeting or a staff meeting, and so one of the biggest pieces of advice I've given that has really made a difference for teachers is if you are going to be an electronically organized person through Outlook or Google or whatever you use, to actually always have printed copies of that calendar and to-do list. So if you are in a place where you're given a deadline or need to schedule a meeting, you can do it without having to take a screen out, and you can transfer it later because there's just you know, when you're walking down the hall supervising 25 students, you usually can't flip open your laptop to take a right. quick note, right? It just doesn't work. And most schools don't really even allow for smartphones to be up in the hallway. So um, I've found for a lot of teachers who choose to go electronic organization, printing out tools can be a helpful workaround. That's an excellent point. And before I move on real quick, because there was another one of these um, that caught my attention, just yeah. tell us briefly about Thought Catchers. I like oh, that Oh, yeah. <laughs> a lot of people do. So Thought Catchers is actually one of the most simple tools. So what happens, I often say, is we all, all have a ton of thoughts, right? Uh, you know, we've talked a lot about time and to-dos, but then we just have thoughts that pop up. And for many of us, what we do with those thoughts is we either forget them or we race to tell somebody else and interrupt their precious planning period, or we shoot them an email that never comes back to us. And thought catchers, again, can be done electronically or on paper, but are nothing more than sort of reference boxes with thoughts for people, you know, number one, people with whom you meet often. So your principal or other teachers, or I have one for my husband, but don't tell him. Um, <laughs> you know, so I'm not like saying, hey, did you get your mom a birthday present? Um, two for teams. <laughs> like grade-level teams, department teams, that kind of thing. So as you think of agenda items, you can write them right there and bring them to the meeting. And third, for uh, many teachers write regular parent updates, things like that, to capture your thoughts for upcoming written communication. And the benefits of thought catchers are, one, it sort of forces a discipline and intentionality. Uh, around your thoughts. You're not just firing emails off to people. Two, you can think of it as a pre-write for an agenda as Mm -hmm. you go through or something that you're going to write. So a lot of teachers have found the immediate benefit of putting those in place, and it helps really rein in the email, which is a bigger and bigger deal at schools these days. 
Absolutely. Well, and it sounds like, and you know, I I could certainly benefit from the thought catchers. I mean, I do try to um, jot them down, and again, maybe this has helped me uh, on the notes program on my iPhone. I um, I was telling someone the other day I was going to back it up, and I said, you know, the most important thing I think I have on my phone is my notes section because mm-hmm. I will do that, and I date them. If I have a thought or an idea about something, a meeting that's coming up or something that I need to remember, um, and I kind of organize them by personal or professional, but yeah. um, I often do that, and sometimes the note will just be a thought. And, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and, and for I, many I of us, the, the trigger to go back to them can be our missing link. So the right. the regular reference of, okay, I have a meeting with this person, let me look at those notes. But a lot of teachers have found it really just helps them use their time well because they have a place to dump the thoughts where they know they will go back to them. You know, and that's the thing. If you have a good idea and then you forget about it, then yeah. you know it nags at you. But it's somehow yeah. when we write it down or we store it somewhere, then it's it's out of our mind, off our chest, and we don't, you know, we're not thinking, what was that thing I, I forgot because I know it was important. <laughs> I do Yes, <laughs> absolutely, right. And that's the, the stress relief part of the that I try to do with folks. Right, absolutely. That minimizes stress. Well, you know, and moving along um, to my next question here, which talks about the benefits of of a teacher feeling empowered because they're organized and they don't have to react to the crisis of the day. But the benefit is the strong student outcomes yes. um, that can that can come with that. I'd like you to talk about um, those positive effects, especially about our 2E kids who happen to be the kids who sometimes aren't challenged in the classroom. Um, maybe their disabilities aren't recognized, so they fall behind. And, mm-hmm. for example, like my son um, who has a very high IQ, but in school he struggled so much because people knew that he was smart, but not smart in every area. So, for example, in the math area, he was always falling behind, and I would say, why didn't you you know, get someone's attention? Well, he didn't want anyone to know, so he was kind of mm. hidden in that classroom. So I'd like to know, and, you know, by him being hidden, I would say my, you know, one of my gripes, if you will, was, well, why didn't the teacher catch this? But then when I would sit down with the teacher and she would say, well, you know, I'm overwhelmed with this many kids right. because he's so silent and he's he's doing okay. But to me, as we've talked about many times here, uh, you know, when you have a bright kid, if they're doing okay, something's horribly wrong. You know, yep. you that's the indicator. You've got, it's the discrepancy between what they're capable of, and if they're meeting at grade level, maybe you need to look further. But she yeah. was saying, I'm so overwhelmed, I'm so busy, and I'm not going to notice him because he's not failing and he's not making a big noise. So, you know, how how does this help? What can those teachers do with that extra time maybe to help our kids? Yeah, it's a, it's a good, it was, it's a great question. I think there's three things. One, by being really together as a teacher, you can just focus on your kids who need it the most in whatever direction. I know the year I was most together, you know, many of my kids had individualized homework assignments because I was able to take the time and say, what does Yasmin need tonight? And highlight the specific problems for her to answer, which just takes a lot of time. Two, this sounds very silly, but like tired teachers can be prone to overreacting. 
Um, I know that, uh, you know, there's the don't drink while drive. I say don't teach while tired. Um, you can sort of <laughs> over or underreact to different behavior issues, many student mm-hmm. things. And, and part of being together is really being a reasonably well-rested teacher because when you're dealing with that volume of students, you know, you are reacting. You're not just teaching all day. You're sort of managing a family. And a very big one. So how you react to things. And then the third is, and I think you alluded to this, to truly for teachers to have the time and space to be resourceful, to look at student data for every kid, and to really be the best teachers they want to be, not just react in the moment. So I think once you master the, the basics of togetherness, then this will let you do those three things, which is really, really hard. Right. Well, and I, for one, you know, um, after going through what I did with my son and working so long um, alongside of Rebecca, who I watch her teach, I have a lot of compassion and forgiveness um, for our teachers because, you know, they're very dedicated. And I think, you know, although there seems to be a struggle sometimes and parents, you know, get frustrated when they think that the teacher is not helping their individual child, we've got to first understand what a thank job it is, how difficult it is, how our education system just becomes more convoluted as we go along. Of course, we're all doing what we can to make strides in that um, reform, but in the meantime, this is a difficult job, and we've got to have a little patience and understanding for our teachers. Absolutely and completely. We cannot thank them enough. We don't. And, you know, um, in Uh, My other question here, one of my last questions for you, because this goes in a little bit of a different area, but it's just as important, and that is the the teaching that our teachers get. And so how can your your materials and your information and how I know you've done this in some of your workshops how can you help the the higher ed the professors in the the um you know educational colleges who are educating our teachers what advice do you have for them so that they can uh, pass this on to the teachers themselves it's a good question. I've been working more and more with some pre-service teachers lately. I just got back from Boston and doing that. But I think first and foremost is to make sure it's just part of teacher preparation. Like I would like to put myself out of business here. Um, part of the reason I was so compelled to do this is it's not explicitly taught as part mm-hmm. of being a great teacher. Unfortunately, um, you know, my book's used by Relay Grad School of Education um, and in more and more school districts, but I, it just should be foundational. It should be one of those things like managing a classroom. Two, I've seen, you know, and just very practically, a lot of schools put book clubs around this topic, really setting goals around how many hours do we want to work, what is the work we want to do, and and schools really listening to what their teachers say. Something that sounds very small that I saw a school achievement first do is, like, teachers were taking too much time on copies. So they set up an express copier and a local copier for short jobs and longer jobs. Therefore, you know, the people had to run one thing off and have to wait behind other people. And those things sound so small, but they really can actually mean a you know, a ton to how we think about teachers' time. And then the last thing is just for any administrator or professor of education or software developer to really be aware of every single thing we're asking teachers to do and is there something that when we add something new we could take something else away. Because right now we're just in a pile-on and there's not a lot being eliminated. So really people looking at the whole teacher's experience, not the narrow lens through which they may see it. Right. 
Excellent point. Excellent, excellent point. And I I just have to tell you, I'm so glad that this interview finally happened. I know you were a Sandy survivor and yes. we have power Thankfully, issues. I was more fortunate than most, yes. <laughs> yes, yes. And um of course our hearts are going out to so many up and down the coast again, even this week, as the storm um is is hitting some in different parts and um, it just seems like their um, their endurance is being tested at every level, yours. <laughs> it, I'm looking outside at a very snowy window now, and I will say this. I grew up in a small town in rural Maine, so I'm not frightened of weather, but it has certainly been a week or two in New York City. But I hope we are on the rise after all this. It has, and I know that that um, you know, can just add to the stress. I think a lot of teachers, too, are in the position of, you know, being adults and authority figures as some of our kids are confused, they're out of their routine, they're out of their schedules. This puts another burden on the teachers to have to kind of add that calming effect. Yeah. Uh, as they, they deal with the storms in their own life and also with these changes that have come to many of their students. Yeah, I know. My husband's facing the school with no heat tomorrow and, and different oh. things like that. Like, people are truly, he just bought thicker socks, um, but people are truly just trying to rally because we've lost so much school time um, here in the Northeast that, and as you know, it's incredibly valuable and hard to get back. So not only, Absolutely. you know, helping lots of kids in tough situations, but also making sure learning continues. Right. Absolutely. Well, and I know um, Marianne Rousseau, our um, president of the Coffee Clatch, has set up an effort, um, and it's on Twitter for um, those of you listening who are following us on Twitter, where you can help. You can donate items. Um, there's all kinds of ways to help. So uh, lots of people are banding together, and I think that's just an incredible thing um, as we come together during these uh, very trying times. Yeah, but I, yeah, absolutely. I also want to um, make sure before we end here tonight, Maya, that you tell us, um, tell our listeners where they can find you and your book, your website, Twitter, Facebook, all the places you are. Yeah, so we are everywhere. Um, The best place to start is the website, which is www.thetogetherteacher.com. We blog regularly in what I think is both a helpful and informative way, and we post lots of new tools that are always free for teachers at all times. So, for example, going out Friday are some field trip planning templates and some examples of how teachers have used them. And we try to keep things in the together enough, but not perfect. We're also um, together teachers are Twitter handle, we have a Facebook page, and we've been doing lots of fun things on Pinterest. If people know what Pinterest is, like great pictures of teacher tote bags and file cabinets and that kind of thing. Um, I do respond to all emails directly, so if people saw resources they liked, um, feel free to reach out, or if you think you should be featured, absolutely let me know. But we love what we do, and we put a lot of effort into it, and then just trying to be a go-to resource for teachers sort of grappling with togetherness. Well, I can't thank you enough for being our guest this evening, and I know um, that there's one very appreciative teacher, and that's Rebecca Banks, my co-host of your materials, and um, I know she'll look forward to listening to this interview as well. Unfortunately, she couldn't be here because of the of the stressors that are going on at school and the overload, but um, I know that this is helpful, and she'll certainly be sharing it with her fellow teachers. Very good, and send her my greetings. Thank you so much.
I will do it, and thank you. Please stay warm and dry and continue all your wonderful, wonderful, helpful things that you're doing for our beloved teachers. You Thanks have a- so much, Diane. Thank you. And you have a great evening, and on behalf of the Coffee Clatch, we thank you all for listening. Good evening. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye.